Our Old Testament reading is a short passage from Isaiah chapter 11. Our sermon text is Acts 2. I'm picking up where I left off a few weeks ago about the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Here now is one of the places where the Holy Spirit is promised to the Lord's anointed. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. There came forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Turn also now to the New Testament. This is the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Be reading the first uh, six verses of Revelation chapter 5. So Revelation 5, last book in the Bible. Verses 1 through 6. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth." And now we turn to our sermon passage in Acts 2. Acts 2, I'm going to actually start, um, we'll be looking more closely at verses 29 to 33, but I'd like to start for context um, in verse 23 and read up through our passage. So Acts 2, 23, the word of the Lord. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is on my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And now Peter, resuming his direct sermon to the people present there. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him 
that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Here ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing. Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you will bless us, open our hearts to your word. May the thoughts of our hearts and the meditations upon your word and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There are a couple of things... There are a couple of fun things, because there are a lot of fun things in the Bible. There are a couple of fun things about what we just read. First of all, in the Isaiah passage, it says there will come somebody who will shoot out from the root of David. And then in Revelation, it turns out he's the root of David. (laughs) The lamb is the root of David, not just the shoot. (laughs) So it's reversed because David originates from his son, it turns out, when the son is revealed. Furthermore, it's it's, uh, almost required of us, almost, (laughs) when you're reading something like that Isaiah passage, that you just count things. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom, and you keep counting, there's seven. There's seven references to the spirit in that one little Isaiah passage. You can go back, you can read it, there's seven. Revelation 5, seven spirits of God. That's where that comes from. That's where that comes from with the seven spirits of God, as well as the menorah. The, the, you know, the uh, lampstand with seven branched arms. It's, it's actually represented a tree with seven branches. And before the throne of God, that's what this picture of the seven spirits of God. That's another sermon to get into all that. But I want you to see that when the lamb is equipped with the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Spirit, as in Isaiah 11. This is a representation of the Spirit in his fullness as he's portrayed to ancient Israel in the uh, lampstand in the tabernacle and a flame of fire on the lamp. Well, Acts 2, Pentecost, flames of fire on the people. That's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with this imagery that connects Scripture with Scripture so that you know what's happening at Pentecost is not something new. This is the Lamb of God exalted who himself is equipped with the Holy Spirit without measure who then dispenses the Holy Spirit to us. As we read in the John passage, 
the John 14, I will send you another comforter. I will come to you in the Spirit. He has a Spirit such that where the Spirit is, there He is. This is, this is uh, the connection in Scripture that we're dealing with. And this is just opening up for the people of God in this fullness, in the teaching of Christ. The disciples have heard this. They're finally understanding it. You know, Pentecost is like the light bulbs go off. It's a lot of light bulbs. Have you ever had a light bulb uh, experience? I had one. I've had one in my long life. I've had one. I mean, it's a real, it's a real one. I was on a study leave at my former job, which I was a, I was a seminary professor. So I, and uh, I walked, I had a study leave, which means I didn't have to teach class, and I was writing a book. So the, like, I was walking in, the librarian said, oh, yeah, there's, there's old Bob. We, we remember him from the old days. He used to teach her. How quickly they forget, you know. <laughs> but she said, are you bored yet? And, and a light bulb went off. And I said, no, I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm able to write without students pestering me. <laughs> so I retired to write that next book. Here. <laughs> Here I am. That's <laughs> why I retired. It is absolutely... Absolutely true. So don't get in the way of my light bulbs around here. <laughs> if you th- you may have had that light bulb experience where you know you know you you know scripture, you read these scriptures over and over, and then all of a sudden you look at it and you go, "Oh my, I never saw that. How wonderful is that?" That's what we're talking about. These disciples had that experience. They had these light bulbs going off of. Oh my, we thought he was just a prophet and he was going to lead us to a great new country in Israel. He was going to be, you know, lead Israel in this country. Little teeny country. Little teeny country. And he's going to take it over and rule in this throne of David. Little teeny throne. It was way too small for Jesus. He wanted the world. He wanted heaven. And he wanted the whole of the cosmos. And he would have it. And that's what he earned on the cross. He earned heaven and earth and everything and everybody in it. That's whom he rules over. And the disciples on Pentecost, they start getting a glimpse of that. They go, oh my, (laughs) this is big. Because the Holy Spirit comes in Pentecost in this sign of the flames, and they're going, oh, that's just like the tabernacle, but it's not on the building, and it's not in the temple. This experience, this sign of these flames of fire, it's on the people of God, roughly 120, gathered in the name of Jesus, that these flames rest on. And that's where we're at in the sermon. Peter's explaining that. And the foundation of that experience that the people of God had at Pentecost is the resurrection and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter preaches it. He sees it. And he is preaching it without any 
muddling it anymore like he would earlier. So now we're looking at, at Acts 2, 29-33. And this, this section we're dealing with, it's not very long, 29-33. We can divide it into two main sections. The first one is David's prophetic witness. You'll notice that David is called a prophet. Prophetic just refers to him being a prophet. Verse 30, being a prophet. So his prophetic witness, Peter is going through that because he's just cited David's psalm in Psalm 16. That's why I read that. That's what he's referring to. David talked about the resurrection of his son in Psalm 16. And now Peter is going to analyze that and show you its significance. And then secondly, uh, after that, in verses uh, 32 to 33, Peter expounds on the fact that Christ is not only raised from the dead as if he was just going to walk around resurrected in this world, but he's exalted to the right hand of the Father to rule. Because if you're on the right hand of the Father, you're on his throne. And that's where the Lord Jesus ascended to, the throne of God. Uh, and that's, that's what Peter is doing. So the uh, David's prophetic witness and the Messiah's uh, royal rule, that's what we have before us in this passage. Now let's look at the prophetic witness. When you read that psalm, notice how in verse 26, I'm, I'm, now I'm reading the Acts version what Peter quotes, so I'm looking at verse 26 of Acts 2, which is a quote of Psalm 16. My heart was glad, my flesh will dwell. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. Now when you hear that, you can say, well, it's just David talking about himself. And Peter is dealing with that and telling you, well, this really is David as a prophet foreseeing, and that's his word, he sees ahead of time what God will do to his son, David's son. So if you look here, if this passage flows right out of Psalm 16, and Peter tells you David's not talking about himself, what's the evidence of that? Well, he died, and his tomb is here with us. He's not talking about himself because it didn't happen. And here's the thing. A true prophet of the Lord, his word happens every time. And if it doesn't, it's not a genuine prophet. In fact, ancient Israel, if somebody prophesies that it doesn't come true, you are to stone them because they are liars and not genuine prophets in Israel. So this is, this is uh, something where David was a prophet, and he wasn't talking about himself. Notice, he's talking about somebody. It can't be about himself because he died. When he says, my flesh will not see corruption, can't be talking about his own flesh. And this really gets at a principle of the Bible that is vital for you to understand. The Bible is a unity. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a unified story. But like any story, it's an unfolding story. 
You don't get everything at the beginning. There's this development of the plot and characters and the uh, storyline as you go from Genesis to Revelation. And if you want to see that, you read Revelation. Revelation is a tapestry woven from all the threads of the previous revelation of God. It's just, it's just everywhere. The Old Testament just like funneled into the book of Revelation. This is why it's so clear. It's easiest book of the Bible. And I'm not kidding. It, if, if you don't make it say things it's not interested in telling you, you will come away encouraged that our Lord reigns. He rules. That's what he's telling you. I rule. Okay, that's another sermon. Okay, that's a lot of other sermons. <laughs> but it is so encouraging that we have this unity here. So David died and was buried. Interestingly, so also his son, the Lord Jesus. He died and was buried. But David's still in the tomb because his son is resurrected, but David's resurrection will wait to the last day. But he will be raised too. But David died and was buried, and so is his son. He died and was buried. Only the Lord Jesus died and was buried, only to be raised again on the third day. And David saw this. Now, this gets into the nature of prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible is seeing visions primarily. You see things. Now, if you want to know what this looks like, let me give you an easy place to see this. Isaiah 6, Revelation 4. Isaiah 6, Revelation 4. I, I'm just because, and many other places in the prophets. But you can, you can see connections there. But they see things. They see something, and it's a vision. They're not seeing actual things in heaven. They're seeing visions of things in heaven. It's like a dream. It's actually said to be like that in the book of Numbers, where prophecy is told to us. It's like a vision or a dream, uh, dark sayings or riddles. And so David saw these things. That's why Peter says he foresaw it, because he's a prophet. He saw these things beforehand. But you see, David saw the resurrection of Christ ahead of time, and he describes it in terms that are not yet complete. Again, remember that story unfolds. You don't get the full conclusion to the story until later. Well, with the coming of Christ, we're getting a lot more conclusions. We're getting a far clearer picture of the storyline than earlier. This is why, you know, in the New Testament, we are so privileged. And David saw this, and because of that, he is uh, proclaiming his messianic son, the root of David, as well as the branch of David. That's what he's proclaiming, because the Bible is about Christ. It's about God's work in Christ through the Spirit. It's a Trinitarian book. Okay. This, these are all big things. But here, interestingly, God has sworn an oath to David. And this oath has to take place. God speaks truth only, 
But then it said, he swore an oath to David. Uh, and this is verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor his flesh see corruption. So God swore an oath to David, one of your own descendants will rule on your throne. And because of that, as a prophet, he proclaimed this in Psalm 16. So when you're reading the Psalms, in many of them, you're reading about Christ ahead of time. Again, you're early in the story, earlier, but you're reading about Christ ahead of time. So this prophetic word assures us that Christ would be raised from the dead. This is why Christ, at times, was so frustrated with his disciples that they didn't understand what he was up to. When he announced that he must go to Jerusalem and be crucified and the third day be raised from the dead, his disciples, remember Peter, the same guy preaching here, Peter, oh no, you can't do that and get behind me Satan. Remember that episode? And Christ, he got frustrated. Why? They knew Psalm 16. They had the evidence in the scripture of what was going to happen. Jesus is not doing something in the dark. And so he, once again, he has to lead them through scripture. This is what's going to happen. It's here in scripture. I told you ahead of time. Well, here we are. Here we are at the entrance to the last days. That's what Peter says at the beginning of the sermon. You recall we worked on that earlier. And here is because of the uh, resurrection of Christ and God has raised him from the dead, not that he might stay where he was, but exalting him at his right hand. And that's the second thing. So we have David's witness and now we have the rule of David's great son, the Messiah, the Christ, his rule at the right hand of God. He's resurrected for that exist for that uh, rule and dominion. And this anticipates Psalm 110.1, which we're going to get to next week. Uh, two weeks. Three weeks. Yay, even three weeks. So next week, Pastor Williams will be here. Week after that, I'll be at Presbytery, and uh, David Wright will fill in for us. Then I'll be back with Psalm 110 because it connects with verse 34 and 35. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So we're going to have we're going to look at that psalm carefully. And this is the this is where the throne of David is transformed. David is early in the story. And the story talks about his throne. David's throne in Jerusalem is a sign of the Messiah's throne in heaven at the right hand of God. The throne in Jerusalem is but a picture in the same way that the tabernacle is but a picture of the heavenly glory and the presence of God in heaven. So the throne of David is but a picture it's a foretaste. It's a pointer pointing ahead 
to what the Messiah would fulfill. And this is why Peter declares so clearly in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, we are all witnesses, now 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into heaven. It turns out the throne of David that the Messiah would sit on is not on earth. That's just the the type. That's the sign. In the same way the Lord's Supper is a sign of the Lamb's Feast that we will participate in. It's a sign and a seal of that. So also the throne of David is a sign, a pointer to the heavenly throne that Christ would sit on. And he has ascended to it. Brothers and sisters, all of human history has been transformed by the ascension of Christ to the throne of God. There is a human being, the Lord Jesus Christ, on God's throne, seated beside him, ruling all creation. He's an incarnate God-man, true, but he's still a human, raised from the dead. One of us, raised from the dead, an actual son of David, raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Nothing like that has ever happened before. Nothing like that will ever happen again because he alone was raised for that purpose, the God-man, to sit on the throne of God forever, ruling over all creation. That your resurrection is guaranteed. With all power in heaven and earth given to him on your behalf, that your sins are all forgiven, that you have a guarantee of your own resurrection on the last day. And to prove that to you, he sent to you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1. And that's what happens here in this passage. Peter sees that and proclaims this to us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. How do you know that? Pentecost. That's how you know it. He sent the Holy Spirit to prove it to us. He sent that sign that these people saw, these flames seated on the, on the heads of these people, so that they would know that the Lord Jesus rules in heaven and has sent his Spirit to his people. And that's what we're dealing with today in the church. You are the descendants of those people spiritually, you have the same faith they had. He is the same Lord of yours as their Lord. He gives the same spirit to you that he gave to them. That is his promise to us. And that's why he did it. This Pentecost, these flames of fire, this sevenfold spirit that he sends to us, this is a promise to us as well. It's interesting here you kind of have to pause because it says in verse 33, being therefore exalted the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's why I read Isaiah 11. That's one place the promise is given. There are others. That's one clear place. The Spirit is promised to the Messiah. 
But later, like in Galatians 3, you're going to read that the promised Holy Spirit was given to us as well. That's because the Lord Jesus received the the promise of the Holy Spirit that he might share him with us. That he might pour out his Spirit upon us. He was not raised for himself alone. The power of resurrection on Jesus was on our behalf as well. He's raised as the firstborn, the firstfruits, so that we might rise as well. He received the promise. He shares it with us. This is, this is witnessed to throughout Scripture. And here, receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing on the people. This Holy Spirit. This is what has happened in their, in their eyes. The Lord Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was raised by the Spirit. He has a spiritual body so that he might pour out this same powerful Spirit upon us. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is many things. But one thing he is, he's the one who gives life. You go to the driest, most arid, lifeless desert. And once the Spirit passes over, there's nothing but life. An abundance of life. He is the Spirit who brings life from the dead. You just read about the dry bones in Ezekiel. This is, this is what the Spirit, among many other things, but this is what he, is, he represents to us. He's the Spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead. The Spirit of holiness by which he was raised, also given to you. You have the Holy Spirit. And that's not temporary. You know, those flames of fire were temporary. There were signs of this. Being given the Holy Spirit of God for you who believe in Him, that's not temporary. He will not leave you. Remember that John 14? I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I won't leave you. You're mine. You have a permanent possession of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're not going to have all these signs of His presence. You have something more important. You have someone who comforts you in your grief. You have someone who, up, who holds your hand when you're in danger of stumbling. One who guides you into the truth. One who illumines your mind so that when you're reading Scripture, you understand it. That's who's operating in your life. It's the Holy Spirit Himself to transform you into the image of Christ. The firstborn from the dead. The fountain of new life forever. This is what Pentecost represents. And here today in Corvallis, he is still present and working. This is not temporary. What's the evidence? You're here! (laughs) In this far-flung part of the world. 
We were on the edge of the whole world. Remember, I'm a you know, first century guy. Spent all my life studying the first century. And from perspective of first century person, I never heard of you or Corvallis. And here I am. It's sort of like a time travel. Wow, there are people way over here. Never heard of North America, South America. Never heard of it. And here we are in the very edge of the world. Evidence of the Holy Spirit's working and presence and the Christ ruling over all the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. End of Matthew. This is, this is what's happening today in our midst. And he is not done with us. Let me read some other places in John. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Lord Jesus Christ orchestrated what happened at Pentecost from the throne of God. He is the one behind what was happening to those people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. This is part of Christ's rule over his church because you are his prized possession. You are his special sheep whom he shepherds. He rules over all the world. All creation is his. That's what you see in Revelation 5. But you are the ones who've already been gathered in. You're bales of hay. I know Jesus uses a different imagery. Let's use one relevant for Corvallis. You are bales of hay gathered into the barn to keep out of the rain and the fire. You know, when I was younger, the farmers in the Willamette Valley all burned their fields. I probably can't do that anymore, but, you know, all their fields would burn at the end of the summer. So, you, you know, you think it's smoky now. <laughs> There's a lot of smoke <laughs> in the Willamette Valley because all these farmers are burning their fields. Kills the disease, kills the locusts, and any other bug that happens to wander onto their field. And that's, that's the imagery we should have of our life. We are mowers and, and hay balers. <laughs> okay. We are witnesses like Peter in the, in the field of the Lord to bring in the bales that are still out there waiting to be brought in. Because there are others that the Lord would have in His barn. And we're in the midst of them. We're in the midst of a field ready to be burned. But he's given us here to help participate in this grand work of his dominion, his kingdom. That's why we're here, participating in that. We preach it. We teach it. We show it in our actions to our neighbors through acts of mercy and love. And you say... I'm just a little kid. I can't, you know, I don't preach. Absolutely. But you can do two vital things. Invite your friends to church and pray for them. 
Pray for the Lord of the harvest to bring in the harvest, to send workers out. You know, you can pray. You know what a privileged and powerful thing that is? You pray to the one seated on the throne that His will be done and His dominion spread from shore to shore. That's what you do. You are participants in this great harvest. Pentecost was a harvest festival. When the Spirit was sent out, it was a great harvest festival. And now that harvest is still going on and you're a part of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we participate in Pentecost today. Through the Holy Spirit who brings our prayers to the exalted Son, seated by His Father, who hears our prayers as well, the King of glory, who will be exalted among us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may these things be experienced by us, for we are here gathered, O Lord, to serve you gladly. I pray, O Lord, that you would manifest your presence through us in this place. Help us to live in light of these great truths that are true every day. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.